Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello, and welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode. Episode 90, and we bid farewell to 2022 and welcome in 2023 with a focus on dry January and the fast changing world of alcohol free. As I'm joined by the co-founders of Crosship, Carl Anthony Brown and Tim Blake. Uh, plus, of course, later on, a selection of low and no medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Whether or not you're up for dry January yourself and whatever you think about the role of alcohol, there can be no denying the revolution that has taken place in the world of non-alcoholic drinks. Once upon a time, if you wanted to abstain or even just take a night off, your options were dull, arguably even grim. A Diet Coke, grapefruit juice and soda, or perhaps a can of Calibre, if you remember that. Nowadays, if you're in the right place, you are spoilt for choice. Low and no alcohol is a booming market celebrated for its restless innovation. And for this edition of The Drinking Hour, I'm delighted to say we're joined by two of those restless innovators, Carl Anthony Brown and Tim Blake, co-founders of Crossip, who are the sponsors of the IWSC's Emerging Talent Bartender of the Year Award this year. Details of how to enter that and potentially win a £2,500 bursary for travel are coming up later on. But uh, Carl and Tim, welcome to The Drinking Hour. Hello. Thanks for having us. How are we? Uh, uh, well, I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome. It's nice to have you. And um, it's going to be fascinating to chat about what you do. To the uninitiated, first of all, tell us uh, about Crosship. Uh, Carl, um, what it is and, and how it came about. Um, so Crossips are a non-alcoholic natural spirit, which basically spirit kind of defined how to use it rather than going through this sort of distillation idea. It's like use a small, small measure um, and it's a liquid texture. So uh, I wanted to create something that adds depth of flavor, uh, maturity to a drink. Instead of copying a, a spirit like individually, so instead of going, OK, this one's like gin, this is like vodka, uh, etc. Uh, I, I basically thought through the other way around. So I, uh, my background is is cocktails and drinks. Um, so I thought through the finished drink uh, and then worked backwards. Um, obviously, uh, it's very rare that someone walks into a bar and says, "Oh, can I have gin, please?" Uh, you normally ask for a G and T or something. So I kind of uh, thought through. Uh, what what those drinks were and and how they how they are all made and then when I sort of really delved into it I kind of felt that found that sort of you know you'll either have something citrusy 
something smoky or meaty or you'll have something sort of bitter. So I end up creating those three flavors um, with lots of texture in, and then you can use that in many different ways to create your drinks. So we have cross it fresh, uh, dandy and pure. Yeah. So we'll talk about the specific uh, kind of, um, well, not the recipe, because I doubt you'll give us that exactly, but you know what I mean. The way you go about um, creating these uh, drinks uh, a little bit later on. Um, But uh, I'm quite curious as to uh, why you chose to do it, Carl, because you're quite a famous face in the world of cocktails involving alcohol. And you do drinks on this morning as i do from time to time i tend to do wine you're uh, you've been there doing uh, spirits and, and cocktails yep. um you've been on uh, sunday brunch on channel four again with uh, i think with booze uh, possibly without as well i don't know but um, mostly with booze mostly with booze so uh, and you do i believe you do drink don't you still alcohol yes yeah uh, yeah so i what, do, do enjoy a beverage yeah so so that's um so, so you're not a sort of um you, I, I think sometimes we think about um no alcohol as being kind of for you know people who've had a problem and and uh and, and have stopped drinking altogether, and I think we probably all know uh, someone in in that situation. But this is not just intended for that, is it? You're going much broader here. No, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't sit here as a founder of a, a non-alcoholic company going, yes, I created this because I I've gone sober and I want this is the right way to be. Uh, that's completely not true. Um, I had a wonderful glass of wine last night. Um, so um, it's uh, for me, it, it's about I, I worked for a company called Dishoom for a long time. Um, and there was uh, a large uh, amount of their guests that didn't drink. Um, so I was tasked with creating a non-alcoholic menu, which um, at the time won best non-alcoholic menu in the UK, which is great. But I spent a lot of time thinking through Uh, those drinks to make them really you know feel like a drink i hate the idea of this mocktail concept where you know first of all the the word itself is like what you're mocking cocktails i just really bugs me um like why do i why should i pay seven eight quid for six different juices in a glass it's like there's no there's no maturity to that there's no depth of flavor it's it's very just linear um so so that frustrated me um, and then for myself as well, I'm, I, I like to keep quite fit. I like to keep quite healthy um, and I do enjoy a drink. And then working in the drinks industry means gives me access to quite a lot of drinks. It's very easy to, to get carried away. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that actually a lot of the time I end up having an alcoholic beverage, not because I want to get drunk, because I, I don't particularly like being being out of control but the alcohol itself has much more depth to it there's much more layers to it you know when you talk about say um orange juice orange juice tastes like orange juice when you talk about wine you don't say wine tastes like wine you say okay it's this has got grassy notes and it's got you know some florals coming through so you know there's automatically it has layers um so for me it was about well if i'm if i'm not gonna if i, if I want to take a moment where i don't want to drink uh, because I want to go to the gym or, you know, I've got some a lot of meetings going on or something like that. You know, it's just a busy life. Um, well, I want to have a nice drink that isn't alcoholic. It isn't going to leave me with a hangover, but I still want that complexity to it. Um, and that's sort of where I came to the started mm. working on the uh, foundations across it. Yeah, really interesting uh, depth, complexity, texture, most especially. Uh, I'm going to come to that in a minute, but I want to bring Tim in now because you're on the sort of commercial side of the 
uh, the business. And uh, it's really interesting. I spoke about a year and a bit ago on this podcast to uh, Christine Parkinson, who uh, you'll know well, I'm sure, and who judges um, at uh, the IWSC, uh, judging um, low and no alcohol. Um, and, and she mentioned that um, uh, this was a really interesting example of the demand being there for a new product before the new product was there, whereas normally uh, there'll be a new product and that will create the demand. Um, is that something that uh, rings true with you as well, Tim? Yeah, I, I think from a commercial perspective, it's it's it, it, it's interesting in all our colleague world because you're right, there's this massive need for lots of different reasons. I think you know, in every sphere, we've realised we want more choice. You know, whether it be going on holiday, whether it be food, whether it be clothes, we want to have choice and everything else. And I think even in alcohol, you know, same as Carl, I've worked in, in booze my whole life and, you know, in, in the sense of premiumization and everything else. And we've seen those things, those happen there where people want choice. They want, you know, something that's, you know, cheaper, easy, more accessible, and they want things that are, that are, are slightly more complex. So we see that across the board. Um, and... Yeah, I think in the non-alcoholic world, you know, obviously then people wanted choice. They want to have something different, more interesting and everything else. And, you know, comparably, alcohol is probably not the way to look at here. Comparably, you should look at, you know, vegan food. We should look at, um, you know, uh, non-dairy milk, those sorts of industries um, where we've seen that. And I think you're right. So we, we had an audience that really wanted to improve their experience when they were drinking not 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 drinking um and then we're busy trying to come up with solutions to that we obviously had you know started off in one way and now it's branching out into lots of different ways so um and i think even now it's it's a really interesting industry you know you know and and i think in comparison to just boots actually because a there's less rules b there's more opportunity um i think we can talk to a far greater audience we're not constricted by age or religion or occasion which is really important you know when do you drink you know it's it's you know do you want to drink a glass of wine in the morning probably not you know do you want to have a beer in the morning having said that have you ever tried so i'm going to ask you both a question <laughs> have you ever had a non-alcoholic beer in the morning yeah it's quite an en- enjoyable feeling but, but it's a weird thing okay. isn't it really? it's not okay is it you know, Heineken zero zero is the same as an orange juice but no you know, I, I just wouldn't do that because I, I i have a kind of not before noon policy um and yeah. apart from perhaps um champagne on an airliner but there you know, apart from that um yeah. if you're lucky enough to be in the right bit of the airliner uh, but uh no I, I just wouldn't do that no um it's uh, there's no reason you shouldn't because there's no alcohol so you're not going to get hammered at no, breakfast it's, it's, yeah, so it's it's kind of an interesting way to think about it on how people perceive it and what they see in it. And I think, you know, there's some of the challenges there about how we how we talk about it, how we engage with it, and, and the occasions we use it. So yeah, it's absolutely right. We are uh, a playing catch up, but b developing out the the industry and the opportunity at the same time. Um, you know, and we've done a lot of work this year um, uh, with the on trade, and we've just done a, a big survey and 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 trying to understand how people engage with it. And I think. You know, one thing that's also, you know, I'm sure in every podcast you've done in the past two months, three months, everyone, four four months, you know, mentioned the P word. But, you know, that created a bit of a a disruption as well, because obviously the on-trade normally drives any innovation. The the bars, you know, the the bartenders, they're the ones who really talk about create those drinks. You know, and and actually, you know, non-alcoholic really explode a little bit. Then kind of, um, uh, uh, and bartenders really didn't know what to do with it, didn't know how to engage with it. We then had that kind of enforced closure. Um, and so we had that increase of sort of 30% 
in, in non-alcoholic usage at that time. And in a way, no one really driving how to use it. And I think that's the bit of the moment. It's not necessarily they don't get it. They don't get how to use it. So that's the, the bit we're trying to, to, to develop more. Yeah, I mean, your timing was either uh, genius or terrible uh, because you launched at the beginning of 2020. And of course, uh, the one thing you could not have put in your business plan was a global pandemic and the shutdown of hospitality, uh, the likes of which uh, we have never known in our lifetimes. So that obviously, uh, no one puts that in a business plan. So um, was it, um, you know, a, a real threat to your very existence or did this pick up in drinking at home also include non-alcoholic? You know, I think the start across it, you know, I mean, complicated. It, I mean, it's complicated. I mean, Carl and I have known each other like nearly what nineteen years. Yeah, nineteen. So I, I, I mean, our background is I was Carl's first boss in a bar, right? right. So I'm, I, I, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not like twenty years older than Carl. I mean, I was about five years older than Carl, and way too long to be young to be owning and running a bar. But, um, you know, so. We've known each other a long time. And obviously, you know, all this time Carl's been innovating and creating these things. We've, we've, can, you know, we've been talking about it. I'm kind of almost like a bit of a sounding board, you know, you know, does that sound, does that taste terrible? Does that not? And so, you know, we sort of started cross it. It was the year before. Wasn't it? I get the, yeah. obviously the years get really confusing because we had a missing year. So I believe, you know, this would have been 2020. 2020. Um, and uh, late 2020, Carl and I started talking about CrossFit. We were both doing different things at the time. I was working in wholesale. Carl was running a small bar in Brick Lane. And, um, and it was kind of almost what we refer to in the drinks trade as a side hustle. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we're going to create something. We're going to see where it goes. We're going to, you know, you were making it in the bar. Yeah, I'd already been working on it for quite a few years before that and building it. And then the idea was I was going to do the bar yeah. to give a, a a foundation to cross it. So yeah. the idea was because it was designed originally for on trade because it was quite com because it is quite complex. Because whereas if if it's a non-alcoholic gin, most people know what gin is and how to use it. When you say this is just a non-alcoholic spirit, people go, okay, well, what do I do with it? So you have to kind of educate. Um, so the, it was originally I was launching it in the bar. Yeah. So I had a uh, the men the drinks menu in my bar was a high, like one side was completely alcoholic, and then you had exactly the same drinks, but they were all non-alcoholic. So you could have the exact same versions, but totally non-alcoholic. And uh, so the idea was we're going to grow it in my bar. Yeah. Then we were going to slowly because we could make it in the bar as well on a small size well, and then yeah. we're going to start reaching out to other people and through the industry and then slowly go there yeah but i then, mean it was being made in, in ice cream tubs, yeah it was being made in ice cream this isn't a particularly developed production <laughs> no. so, at the moment you know? um so actually to be fair it was a lot easier in the it was a lot easier because i didn't know the rules yeah <laughs> I, could use, I could use um backpack machines and things like that to make yeah, small yeah. macerates yeah, much yeah. much easier yeah, than, yeah. than scaling it up mm. but um but yeah and then then the then the uh we then, can't forget we can't forget i mean there's the two of us here there is brad as well yes. we can't forget brad we must bring up brad brad is our third founder but mm. um uh, uh, he's he came from a, a banking background, uh, investment background. That was his focus. He'd he, run, so he yeah. kind of joined us to help to with ensure, that. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. To ensure that the two bartenders aren't let loose. Yes, aren't no. let loose. And, <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're making things and talking about things. But this doesn't answer your question, David. I, I'm completely mm. aware of that. We've gone way off on a tangent. But it's kind of useful to understand where we started. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would say, I, yeah, it was a big change. So, obviously, we, we had quite an on-trade plan. 
We did, well, um, we, and and it was going to start small, and we were going to spend time growing yeah. it. But then, because of everything locking down, and uh, and I unfortunately lost my bar in that time because yeah. of it. Um, it was like, well, we now need to make a switch. What are we going to do? Well, this was yeah. We're, we're all kind <laughs> what of are sat- we going to do? And we all sat there and kind of went, well. We've got time. We, yeah, I mean, that's what I think we do that. <laughs> but one thing we did realise in that was, obviously, the, the, the problem was then, well, actually, it was a benefit to us to a certain extent because, obviously, you know, CrossFit being made in a, an ice cream tub at that point. And we then got to suddenly go, well, now, if we're going to make a business of it, mm. first things first, you know, A, we've got to, you know, work out how to make this more than 100 bottles at a time. How do we make 10,000 bottles at a time? You know, and, and – and, but that – so that year was quite useful because – you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit more later when we talk about the production of it. But we had to completely design a process of of making crosship. There was no one else who would do it. We've got many tales and uh, of you know, and where we're sat now, having a chat with you in our lo- uh, you know lofty you know, Bishop Stort for production facility, which is uh, you know, um, I don't know, it's as exotic as it, we sometimes would like. I mean, it's a good job there's no videos. Um, but um, so. <laughs> Yeah, so this year actually kind of helped us in the way of production and understanding who we were, and we kind of wanted. But you know, Carl's right. You know, the plan then is, and actually, all of our background, the way I talk, you know, I, I, retail I can talk about it. But it's not my expertise, you know, and, and I've never really worked, sold some things in retail before. So, um, and you know, ecom, yeah. you know, and and the it, explosion. We all, we all sat. We all sat there going right. So. The plan is we sell to bars and then we yeah. go, ah, they're all closed. Yeah. Right. Ecom. Does anyone know how to do that? <laughs> well, a lot of people learn very quickly, actually. You included, well, I'm sure. Shopify made a lot of money, uh, I think, <laughs> in, that, in that year. So, yeah, and, 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 and you're right. We, we had to change around our plan. Um, but I, I, I suppose I, would, I think we would both be remiss not to say that in many respects it kind of helped us because it gave us space that we wouldn't have had otherwise you know i was working a full-time gig at the time you know um uh, 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 you were obviously running the bar you know it would have been you know 20 hours a week whereas all of a sudden we could put our absolute you know heart and soul everything into it mm. and i suppose that kind of gave us the the ability to do that so i would also say it's it wasn't a complete uh, a, a complete waste of time in that sense um but it did give our sort of commercial plan and arguably, we've still not even got back to the position now, you know, late 2022, 20, uh, where we would be where we would have started if it would be normal, normal trading place. Uh, in, when I'm sort of forecasting, envisaging where we are, certainly with the, um, the challenges that we've had in the industry this year, we're not going to be there until sort of, you know, Q, end of Q1, Q2 into, in 2023 now. Because because I think it's you know I think we forget we've kind of almost blocked out you know the entrepreneur really only came back in sort of March this year yeah you know we've we've only been in it sort of nine months now and I think that's so yeah our commercial plan changed but it was it was yeah it also gave us some benefit too yeah and let's go back to development uh, you touched on it with your ice cream tubs. <laughs> Uh, Carl. So I'm, I was yeah. doing my homework. Uh, I was. It took me a while to realise, um, uh, although it's, it, it is in capital letters on the website, that you're aiming to create something new, not seeking to replicate something that exists. So let's say I love Campari, uh, which I do. Uh, you, you're not saying here's a sort of Campari type thing, uh, but it's uh, it's not got alcohol in it. You're actually creating a new proposition. That's right, isn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously, I, I I approached it in that reverse in the reverse idea. I I thought about the finished drinks people people want, um, and then worked backwards from those finished drinks. Going well, if I'm not using alcohol, what textures do I need to ensure that are in that drink to make sure that it works? Mm. And then when you break down. So obviously, I know thousands and thousands of cocktails, and I'm, I mean, right now I'm surrounded by cocktail books and things, and, and then even just normal your standard spirit mixes. When you really start breaking them down and thinking through how people drink, you kind of go, well, okay, if people drink gin or vodka, you know, almost always you, you use some kind of citrus. So almost every cocktail that uses gin or vodka has citrus in it. You know, there's a few that don't, but most of them do. If you think about having just a G and T, you normally put a slice of citrus in there. Things like this. So I was thinking about these finished drinks, and then I was like, well, actually, I don't want to create a replica gin because then people are going to judge it's gin. I don't want to create a replicator, a replicate vodka because, well, that's just a pointless, empty tasting spirit. Uh, it just gets you drunk. <laughs> well, I give it a bit harsh. Oh, it's not now. I mean, it's like it's on the size. You know, it's, yeah. it's been yeah. skeletal with yeah. no wheat. You know, guards. I mean, come on now. So, 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 so someone's going to shabby for that. You're, right? you're gonna, yeah. you're, you're gonna Never mind. You've said it now. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you weren't going to create vodka. We've established that. Yeah. What did you say? You're, <laughs> you're not judging. You're not judging vodka this year. Um, <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so when you think it through, I was like, okay, like these 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 drinks. They almost all contain. They're always going to use citrus. So then I thought, well, if I if I make a citrus flavor, then you'll be able to use that citrus flavor in any way you want. So whether you want to just do a simple spirit mixer, whether you want to turn it into a cocktail, it always it already gives you a whole bunch of elements on the flavor notes to to make that easier. And then on the base notes, it was about creating that effect and that texture that the alcohol would give. For me, when I first created it, um, you know, the story that Tim rolls his eyes at, but I I, uh, I locked myself in a dark room, literally, right. with loads we, of booze. Can we just say, right, he's going to say this, and the reason I roll my eyes, Nick, because he will next say that he then wrote things down. It was a dark room. All right. Like, I mean, I mean, the dramatic effect you went, here. You went to the bar, it was oh, dark. Oh, it was dark, yeah, okay. Uh, Unnecessarily uh, dark, like so anyway, those weird little basement plaza. Uh, uh, so I had, I, I basically got myself lots of spirits, and had a wonderful time drinking them. I bet you did, yeah. You know, caused caused myself to have a horrific hangover uh, over quite a lot, uh, quite a few weeks. But the idea was, I was I was tasting a spirit, and then I was writing down the flavors, but also the effects and also the textures. So rather than just writing down, going, "Oh, I've got some grassy notes off this," I've got some bitter notes off this. I was writing down like, "Okay, I've uh, taken this sip, and I've got a really hot, burning sensation." at the back of my throat or uh, my cheeks have just flushed or my ears have got really warm or my nose is cleared. I was writing all of these effects down as well like as I was taking different sips, different spirits. I then went through all the lists and kind of went across all the board or across all the different spirits. Were there any of these things that kept happening and there was like a selection that were? And I was like, okay, well, these things keep happening. So I feel like I need to replicate those. And then it was like, well, how do I do that? You know, and it, and it was going out there and finding botanicals, spices, herbs, uh, fruits um, that would do those effects that, that sort of did that. Um, and then worked out how to extract those flavors, concentrate them down. So it's kind of, I create this base ingredient, which uh, unfortunately Tim tasted the very first one. Oh. Um, 
and, and literally this was before I had any flavors onto it. So it was just like, this isn't the It was just like this really weird little hot, like bitter thing that kind of just aggressively attacks your mouth. Which wow. is the base. And I've not made it sound brilliant there, but it's okay. the base. And it's right. important because, well, yeah, if you think about booze in its, in its rawest form. Oh, it's awful. Like if you've ever. Tried, well, it's lethal. Of it's course, a great. Well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry? It's lethal too. Yeah, I mean, it's, literally. Yeah. 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 So you needed that, right? We needed that because that's the, that's the important part. Yeah. Okay, so, so Carl, yeah, so is I that giving that. you texture? Is that uh, that yeah. base you talk about that is on its own? It's horrible. So that, that base, That's giving you texture. Base, exactly, it creates massive texture. So it sort of like uh, lifts your palate. It kind of goes right. So your you know your nose will clear um, from it. Your your cheeks will flush and things like that. Your tongue will come alive. You'll get that warmth going down your throat. It does all of those different things at the same time. So you go right. Something's happening here, and then I added the flavors on top to make them usable. Can I, can I say, because the only question was not replicating something. I mean, because I like to think about Crosship not as a non-alcoholic spirit. I like to say we're a spirit that just doesn't have alcohol in. Like, we do the same job. And I think, right. and I think this, is, this is a fundamental difference that we kind of all need to get our heads around. Right? We're not trying to say we basically do the same job. And I think you have to go back to the word spirit there. Now, if, if you grab the dictionary now, and I'm sure you, you pick it up or put it online, it would tell you it's a, a distilled liquid made with ethanol the thing is spirits have changed now you know fundamentally spirits are used as an ingredient as a base to a drink we very rarely go into a bar and order up a a straight spirit we might drink those at home and everything else but even in the alcohol world we're finding distillers creating liquids at a higher abv to create a better drink whether that you know so you might get a gin maker who's making their gin maybe 49 50 percent to make a better Negroni because they know you're going to stir it down with stir it down with anything else. So already, you know, in alcohol, we're using we uh, uh, alcoholic distillers are using the alcohol as an ingredient to create that effect. Okay, so we're seeing that. So I think we need to really think about not not the word spirit as as the noun, the naming word, but really as its verb, what it does. And the spirit is that base for a drink. Okay, so that's where we can then have a a version of that that does not have alcohol. And I think, you know, so I like to think about it from that perspective. Obviously, Carl, you know, think about the development side of it and everything else. But I think there's two fundamentals here. And and it comes back to your question about that commercial thing and how to sell it. I think we need to start thinking about, you know, these things just as spirits, as ingredients. I often get asked the question, can we use them in alcohol? And I'm like, well, yeah. It's an ingredient, right? I mean, just use it the same as you would anything else. It was it was interesting because it was a lot, it was quite a long argument argument debate yeah, that we well, had. Yeah. Um, we call them we, debates. Debates. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Same thing. Because, because we could because we could uh, we were like, well, do we call it a spirit or not? Yeah. Uh, and and because you could say, well, it's a cordial, um, but then when you think of the connotations of a cordial. You go well. Kids drink cordials, and well, it's not just that. It's a and, cord- it, and it's, it's stuff. Like, and it's, well, it's you, that, you it's can't like, leave a cordial open. You can't. Yeah, you can't. You, can't, leave, you know, the cordial's got leave. six weeks' life on it, or something. You know, we have to have max so, yeah. three three months at least. You know, it needs to be used. So it's as like that. you know, yeah, you open it and you've got to use it. And yeah. like you know, it is there is a more child element to it? And we're like, well, we're not that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were like, well, what? How do we sort of dictate how to use it? And actually, when you think about it, yeah. If you say to someone, this is a spirit, you naturally go, oh, okay, so about 25 mils. 
and it and it's that's so ingrained into people. It's a very easy way for people to start learning how to use it. Yeah. Whereas if you would say like it like well, at one point we were saying it could be just a, a mixer, yeah. and then we thought no, someone's going to pour two hundred mils of it, yeah. and they'll blow their face off. This this is the other thing. Crossship's very strong. I mean, like you know, twenty five mil is 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 probably in the same sense as a, a an alcoholic spirit in its raw state on its own is quite an aggressive item. Yeah. Crossip is that as well. Okay. So when you drink it on its own, you know, I was going to say, you know, do, do, uh, do people want to double sometimes? You know, is it, is it just like a, a large gin and tonic, you know? See, this is the, uh, see, this is the difficulty, isn't it? Because why would you have a double gin and tonic? Invariably, you have a double gin and tonic because you want a bit more booze in it, um, yeah. because you want to have that effect. Sometimes, you know, I, I, so actually, because, because we are a... Um, uh, uh, the flavour texture. I think the drink dictates that. You know, so if it's a stronger flavour drink that needs to have more punch, then you would probably put mm. more crossip in there. But I would probably say most drinks are sort of thirty-five mil because yeah. it, it maximum is thirty-five I, on a I cocktail. Would, I would say yeah. So people use it very the same as how in, yeah. the, in the mentality of creating a cocktail. So you know, like when you're going to spirit mixer, you'll either have a single or a double, right? Yeah. Well, if you're doing a spirit mixer with Crossit, you'd naturally go towards just do a single with a mixer. mixer. Yeah. But when people are using it for a cocktail, yeah. you use it very much the same. You like so if you're if you're you know whiskey sour, normally you use say 40, 50 mils in. Yeah. You'll probably use close to 40, 50 mils of Crossit sure. because that's sort of how the drink has been yeah. the, the the etymology of it. Yeah. yeah and it, well, yeah, and I think obviously that that that's you know the difference between say. I don't know a, a, a vodka lemonade and a, mm. and, a, and a sour is the fact that the sour is invariably more you know more spicy, more citrusy, a bit more bal- you know it's a bit more of a, a an interesting flavor profile. So yes, so it's not necessarily so we're dictated really by the drink on how much you'd use it rather than just the oh I'll have a, I'll have a large one uh, you know which I often think is dictated by which is the same for a cocktail right because actually a cocktail the amount of alcohol you put in there is not dictated about how strong you want the alcohol of the cocktail to be. The alcohol you put in there is dictated by the style of drink you want it to be. So, you know, if you think about a Manhattan or something along those lines, it's a spirited forward cocktail and it's dictated by the fact that it needs to be more spirited forward, more aggressive on the palate. It's smaller. It's, uh, you know, it's an aperitif or, you know, the same sort of style could be a digestive. It has a use. Okay, so that cocktail dictates the alcohol, whereas you might have a a less of amount of alcohol or less of a ratio comparison to a highball, which is more that refreshing style drink. So Mm. we dictated in the same way based upon the style you want that drink to be and to, 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 uh, to give you. It's interesting. I looked up that dictionary definition of spirit, uh, the technical yeah. one that you just gave us, which is, you know, bang on. Uh, and then, yeah. um, of course, one of the other definitions of spirit is a, an attitude or a mood. Um, yes. And uh, yes. you kind of um, you cross into that territory here, don't you? Yeah, I think that, look, I mean, it's part of the name why we called it Crossip, actually, because we, we find ourselves crossing over into lots of different worlds that we're, we're, we're probably not supposed to be in. You're right. I mean, look, I mean, drinking should not be about the, the, the you know, I, I've run a lot of bars in my life and made a lot of drinks. And I think the thing is about what I love about the drinks industry and what I love about the hospitality industry and what we do about, about that sort of thing is the way it makes it feel. And it's not the drink, it's the it's the sense of place you do it in, it's the way you do it and everything else. And I think, you know, um, 
and I suppose, you know, when we're talking about non-alcoholic drinks and alcoholic drinks, often you find yourself having a pump for that alcoholic drink to find that sense of place or to find that sort of experience. And you're you're right. This, uh, you know, CrossFit is that kind of change in mood, change in attitude that you can do that if you just don't want to have some booze as well or you want to have less of it if you want to cut back. So it, it really is that, you know, helping people find that sense of place and, and occasion um, in, in all worlds and making it more inclusive. You know, again, one of the reasons that I think both Carl and I, and I'm probably speaking for you, that we've spent our whole lives in the drinks industry is because it's the, one of the most inclusive industries you can work in. You know, we work yeah. with lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds um, and, and with, you know, lots of style of guests and consumers that we've, we've sold to. And I think, you know, this is just a furthering of that kind of spirit of the, the drinks world and the industry to continue to make it a more inclusive thing yeah it's interesting i I crossed from uh hard news journalism broadcasting into into sort of the drinks world you know uh six or seven years ago now and it's you're absolutely right it's a it is a a lovely industry where people do kind of look out for each other on the whole as well it's uh um it's great um carl have you had um from your um friends who are you know have dedicated their 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 working lives to to booze and cocktails and so forth have you had a a, a uniformly positive reaction or, or are there those people who say what are you doing no i'm very lucky to to actually yes um uh, my friends um who you know i think pretty much every single one of them is is books in the drinks industry uh, and they've been any and to be fair even those that don't work in the drinks industry they've just been so supportive um and yeah, so the guys from the drinks are really, really positive about it. Um, and I think because, not just because I'm their mate, because otherwise, you know, we'd have to have a discussion. Um, <laughs> but, um, but but very much because because I approached it with that texture element of going, or how you know, let let's help let's help people create like depth. And I know like there's some people out there who have created fantastic non-alcoholic menus, not using CrossFit, and not using any non-alcoholic spirit at all. But one of the um, but one of the challenges of doing that is you end up having to have a lot of stuff mm-hmm. on the bar, so you have to have a lot of extracts and spices, and you just have a lot more like items on the bar, all of which normally has a shelf life. Yeah, um, and, and also when you're trying to teach that into a, into a recipe, to someone if you mm-hmm. want to go for something really complex, if you really want to do create a special drink for someone. The amount of the amount of items you need, and then the the skill you've got to have is far more complicated than doing a, 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 an alcoholic beverage. Um, so, because I approached in the way I did, I think I've sort of I've, I've kind of condensed a lot of that complexity down into a into one into a base liquid, so that people could go right. I can use this. So, a few of my a few of my really great friends, you know, they put it straight into their bars and really started working, and have come up with some some fantastic. Um, recipes and things um so it's been it's been really enjoyable um uh and then obviously because we own the production facility um which is different to what most of the other non-alcoholics do uh it means we can be a little bit more um adventurous uh and and we can sort of create our limited editions and things like that and you know really give it to give it to the trade to be able to test i think I think the other side, you know, the trade, I, I spend a lot of time talking to trade. And I, I do really feel there's been a shift in this kind of perception of, of non-alcoholics, where they've realised that they're, you know, I think there's a realisation we're not trying to steal something away from alcohol or take away any of that heritage and everything else. And I think that's, and perhaps some of that 
the early days because there was so much reliance upon the idea of saying, oh, this is a non-alcoholic gin, this this was this, this is that. You know, I think there's that kind of a lot of people are feeling, you know, there was almost kind of a, a hijacking of the history and saying, well, you know, uh, you know, these guys have put all this effort into it and, you know, you're just kind of sweeping along and stealing that away. And I think now there's a realisation that, you know, we're not the only people who do the production and hold that sort of integrity. And there's there's many brands on the market that are doing such a, a, a great job. And in generally, you know, the drinks industry is a curious place. You know, the people who work in it are generally, you know, curious innovators um, who make drinks. And, um, and, and I think, you know, now there's a realisation that actually what we're attempting to do is to, to make things better, to premiumise that offering, to create a better opportunity for the drinker. I think that's, that has made the industry a lot more on board with it um, and, and it's sort of got their head around it as such. Yeah. Interestingly, I have to take on uh, price as well, um, because yeah. when I was on this morning uh, doing a dry January feature, um, I was yeah. um, I was duffed up by Philip Schofield um, because I was offering up a, um, a, a I think it was a no groni that was, you know, eight quid for a single I don't think anyone's ever used the term, but, I was duffed up by Phil well, Schofield. <laughs> I'm sure they have. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, he said, you know, how can you justify this price? And uh, I, I basically, I, I didn't really know how to justify the price because they don't make the product. But I assumed it was the cost of innovation and it was the cost of good ingredients. That's the answer I gave because there's no duty to pay, is there? There's no tax apart from VAT. So I'll hit at the first bit and then you follow it up. Go on then. I've got some really views on this. We've gone through this. Yeah, yeah. So from my side on production, it's a lot harder. It's a lot more complicated. I mean, you don't even, I don't think you even need um, like a, a EHO check. I, I, have, I, I have had a distillery um, in my life. And yeah, yeah, I, I remember registering it with the food agency, standard agency. And they basically went, oh, you're a distillery. All right, we won't bother coming around. Because that was it. They just, you, I don't even care. Because you've got alcohol. So, you know, it's fine. Now I don't not just alcohol. Yeah, well, yeah, 96% yeah, 96 alcohol. It's sterile. Whereas, whereas, well, with CrossFit, we're 100% zero zero. So we don't even use alcohol anywhere. I don't even use alcohol cleaning materials. Okay. So there is no alcohol here whatsoever, and it doesn't touch things. But because of that, we are actually in the eyes of, you know, production. We're closer to a sandwich than we are a spirit um, in, in how it's made. So there's so many more um, levels that you've got to get checked. So the amount of analysis i have to have to make sure there's no um bad bacteria or molds and things like this and to make sure there's shelf life and you know things that are non-alcoholic tend to go off and we've got to counter that in a way so from a production point of view and from a raw materials and everything like that it's just a lot more expensive than making alcohol um so so yes you've got the duty on alcohol which puts the price up Mm -hmm. from our point of view we it's just everything else. So with say you could use um imagine you're making a a, a small batch of gin and you have to use a uh, hundred grams of juniper in that small batch of gin. To do the same as a non-alcoholic, you'd have to use five hundred to a kilo of juniper. Due to, to the non- lack of distillation. Due to the lack of distillation. Well not just yeah. the distillation, but due to the lack essentially alcohol is the greatest solvent on earth. Like yeah. If you want to extract stuff out of alcohol, that's where it is. So if you remove that, it makes it a lot more difficult. 
But generally, I think, you know, alcohol gives you a lot of that taste and texture. You know, as Carl spent the time talking about before, he's had to recreate that. So using, um, using uh, you know, various spices like cayenne pepper and ginger and things like that. So these in themselves are voluminous in their usage and, and probably cost more than the alcohol itself. I will attack this question from a slightly different standpoint. First question I think I'll probably would ask old Phil is um, what shirt he was wearing and where he bought it from. Because I would imagine he didn't buy it from Primark. Um, I would imagine he wore a shirt that was a lot more expensive. And I suppose my question is, well, why didn't he buy a shirt from Primark then? It's just a shirt, isn't it? It's the same thing. So there's a question of apples for apples here for one thing as well. And yeah, I think, you might not get invited back, kind of, you see, Tim, if you were on this morning. Well, if you were on this morning, that one. But anyway, <laughs> but it's a good, it's a good thought. Anyway, it's a good, it's a starting thought. I wrote a blog about this, actually, because we got challenged this a lot. And um, I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to look at this because I, I've got an understanding of the booze world. Like I said, you know, I, I spent a lot of time selling booze as well. And so I thought, well, obviously our ingredients are a lot more expensive than the else. But actually, everyone kept throwing up that and juicy and this, that and the other. So I'm like, oh, actually, let's let's I got my pad out and I'm, I got my calculator. And I thought, look, I know how much juicy is. It's around 27 quid a litre of 96 percent ABV alcohol. To, I think it's £26.38 or something like that. Someone will probably correct you on that. But anyway, it's quite high. So, I, well, I know how much the duty is, so I can work out how much there is a duty per a bottle of something. And I know how much that is. That's 20%, so I can say that. So that what I'm going to do is I'm going to take what I saw as a almost a comparable item uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove the duty, I'm going to remove the vats. So essentially, all we're talking about is raw ingredient. Okay, now... First thing to put, alcohol is a really easy thing to make as well. Um, and gin is a massively easy thing to make. And I, I, I'm not taking any away from the gin makers of the world. Uh, you know, I've made gin, but let's be honest, you're essentially throwing in a load of uh, botanicals into some 96% alcohol. You're redistilling it. You're watering it down. You've got gin. And you don't even really use that many botanicals I think, per litre, sort of 50 or 60 grams. So it's not a lot of ingredient. So anyway, I took Monkey 47. Now, I don't know if anyone knows the history of Monkey 47. Um, Monkey 47 is one of the biggest gins in the world. It's owned by the second biggest distiller in the world. Um, it's uh, Pernod Ricard. So they have quite good economies of scale. Uh, they can get their cost of production down to a lot lower than we can. Mm. So I thought that's probably not where it's comparable with us. But I thought it was an interesting thing to do anyway. Yeah, it's expensive as well, isn't it? I can't remember what it costs, but it's quite a lot. Absolutely. And that's because they say it's an artisanal product. It uses quite a lot of ingredient. Um, so in that sense, it's kind of comparable to us. You know, we're small batch producers of an ingredient that we use for a job. So actually, that's quite comparable to us in their kind of story, you know, where we think about. It. I suppose the same could be said for the plethora of premium gins, vodkas, whiskies, whatever you talk about in the world. Probably not whiskey because that's mainly storage. But let's talk about we're probably in the same sort of worlds as vodkas, gins, etc. So you know, let's talk about the premiumization of that. So, okay. So I took off the duty in the vat and I then worked out what the cost was per milliliter for Crossip and for Monkey 47. And I can't remember the exact thing. It's in the blog. Just go on to www.crossipdrinks.com and it will see there in the blog section. See, I did that like that. Oh, very you can also good. buy Crossip on that website. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so I had a look and um, we're cheaper. Okay, but per unit, we're cheaper. So let's take duty out of the the equation. Let's take VAT out of the equation. We've already squared off that we're we're an ingredient to create a base for a drink. So we're the same as an alcoholic spirit. We've removed all the taxation out of there. 
And per milliliter, we are cheaper than one of the biggest selling gins in the world. I also used it because it was 50 milliliters and we sell bottles for 50 mil. It kind of on a, on a price of 50 centiliters. So it kind of works in that sense. So I suppose then I think, and it's always the thing when someone goes, yeah, but I can go and buy a bottle of gin in Tesco's for, or, or Aldi. I can go and buy a bottle of gin in Aldi for, for 12 quid. And then you're selling this for 22 pounds. That's not, that's, that's outrageous. It's like, well, okay, but if we're talking about Aldi, where it's normally quite a lot, quite a lot cheaper uh, and everything else, you're, you're kind of attempting to compare us to something that's not in our space. You know, so if you start to compare us into the world of, you know, and I think I worked out then any gin, we're comparable in price to any gin that goes out about 30 or 32 pounds. We're kind of comparable in, in price. So I think right. it, okay. it just needs to be a really open conversation about what you want to do with it, what your expectation is for it. You know, I sold burgers for a long time. You know, 15 years ago, you could sell a burger and a burger was no more than six quid. I went to Byron last night for my kid's 11th birthday and it was £12 for a burger because it was made with this meat. It had this topping. It was a better burger chain. And I think this is the kind of thing that, you know, we don't have comparison. And it's really easy to compare things on their nth level. Mm. We've really got to dive into what these things are. And I think us as, you know, we're not trying to be something else. We're creating a new idea, creating a new liquid, using actual raw natural ingredients and materials to create what we do. You know, we we manage that production ourselves, so we have that integrity. I think then we can't be perceived as Tesco's value gin. We're not in the no. same world. You yeah, know? So okay. I think it's just a re, re, reframing of the argument more than anything else. Yes, a rather better answer than I gave uh, Phil, but then you've, we've had a bit more time to do it here. But uh, but similar well, yeah, yeah, to the I'm ones that I, yeah. I, I guessed at. Um, uh, Carl, you uh, are an experienced um, judge with the IWSC, uh, judging uh, spirits. Uh, not sure if you also judge uh, uh, Tim as well. Tim's yeah, an experienced um, judge. Uh, okay, well, well, both of you. I didn't rise to you both of it. I've done the IWSC. Uh, yeah, so a gold slate. And so... The, the, the skills you bring to assessing a spirit, uh, Carl, when when you assess it to to, to decide where, which medal it will get, or whether it will get a medal, are you using exactly the same kind of skill set when you assess a no alcohol product? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you 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 don't just take it. You know, you don't just take a sip and go, "That's nice." Because uh, I mean, if you did that, there's so many drinks out there that you'd go. You'd it would be getting gold medals that you're like, well, I really shouldn't give that. That was just a bit, a bit of nostalgia or something like that. So, you know, you've got to assess it at all levels, uh, really thinking through, you know, how does it affect the palate? How does it make you feel? Like, you know, if you're, you've got to take it further than that. You've got to think, well, if I was in this setting, does it fit in? You know, where, where would this be? Does it fit in with that or not? Um, and you've really got to look into all of those different elements to it. And then, and that, I, I, I carry that straight through into the non-alcoholic world. In you know, does for me, the a non-alcoholic spirit is to not only help those that don't want to drink or are cutting down on their drinking. It's actually to make sure that anyone that isn't having alcohol um, still feels part of you know, still feels included in, inclusive of the room. And mm-hmm. I think that's you know one of the hardest things. If you know, uh, everyone's I'm I'm pretty sure everyone's done it where. Uh, they've they've gone out for for a party or drinks or something. They can't drink that night, so they're just on tonic water or they're just on a coke. And there's only so many pints of coke you can drink before you go. One, 
everyone's treating me slightly different because I'm just drinking pints of Coke. And I'm, and I'm too, I'm just completely fed up of consuming this. So, you know, it's really important that you, you've, that what is there, what has been created can allow you to be included. The only challenge I find with judging, and I haven't judged that much not out because clearly we have to step out of that space um, because that would be, if there's, there's less definition in non-alcoholics. Um, and I think with, with when you're judging spirits, there's there's almost a, a, a benchmark you're working towards because it's a whiskey, a vodka, a gin a, a, and everything else. And we have that categorization. We have that sort of innate knowledge, innate knowledge of what that is meant to taste like or make you feel like. Um, so there's 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 that challenge, I find. I think the, the non-alcoholic world definitely has less categorization. It gives you less ability. I think one of the other challenges as well with, with, with alcohol is that essentially you drink it as it is, which I actually this year disagreed and kind of had a, a, a we had a we had some interesting discussions over the judging table on that on, you know, because I'm drinking a gin that on its own, to be honest, but it tastes pretty awful. But then I know as soon as I'm going to stick some tonic in there, it's going to taste pretty delightful. Mm. And that's because they designed it to be put with some tonic. So I think there's the, um, and I think that's the challenge for judging in itself, that as not just non-alcoholic spirits, but alcoholic spirits are developing, um, that we have to start to think about the sense of place, the context it's meant to be in as well. And I know certainly on some of that judging, it's being put with, you know, now I think the IWC does a gin with tonic it to does see indeed. how it feels like yes yeah, yeah a really good and idea I think yeah it's i like, think so um, yeah it's, it's difficult like, it's like one of my one of my favorite drinks is uh is a sherry and tonic i absolutely, yeah. I absolutely love oh, sherry same here fino and tonic well, or manzanilla and tonic yeah you us because we are like the only two people in a bar going can we have some manzanilla oh, and tonic i please? love it so, yeah but i found it really interesting was you know i i, I had a, a sherry and tonic and and uh and it was made with sort of you know the the super big mainstream one that everyone knows that has a bit more sugar in than than the others and it was wonderful it's absolutely perfect and then i had it in something slightly more i had a, another one with something slightly more artisan where they don't put extra sugar in there and you know it's supposed to be more premium but actually because of the comp the, the how that the that drink is created and the base spirit and things like that it didn't work. It was just too dry. It was like, okay, this is mm. just lost that little bit of love that it needed. So it's like when you're thinking about through judging, you're like, yeah. you've really got to take that into account. It's like, actually, this might be the most beautiful spirit in the world, but if you've mixed it wrong or you're drinking it neat and it's not supposed to be neat, it, it's the, it's, how is that fair? It's so innovative, not just in the non-alcoholic world, but the alcoholic world at the moment. And it's becoming more and more difficult to not think about context and, and, and sense of place with spirits now than it ever was before. Because, you know, there's there's a lot of square pegs trying to go in round holes. And I think sometimes from a judging perspective, it's a, it, we do things a little bit of a disservice because we don't think about where it should be or what it should do and how we should approach it. And that is probably the way that judging should be done for non-alcs more. So I think in, in general, it needs to kind of be a little bit more developed in this sort of yeah. how we do it interesting well what you've done is um you know uh remarkable in a short space of time and how it came about is uh, is is genuinely um inspiring so um 
uh, uh, congratulations to you. Uh, I was going to say both, but of course, uh, there are three of you of significance. It's just that we are talking to two of you today, I know. Um, but uh, we're the golden ones, that's what. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, congratulations on what you've achieved so far. Uh, it's been fascinating talking to you about how you do it as well, Carl. It's been great talking to both of you, I should say, their favouritism. And um, I look forward to hearing what happens next, because I know uh, the business is growing fast as well. So thank you guys both for spending time talking to us on The Drinking Hour. Thank you. No problem. Thank yeah, you for uh, taking the time as well. Carl Anthony Brown and Tim Blake, two of the co-founders of CrossIp, a brand very much created with a bartender in mind. And as I mentioned, they're sponsors of the IWSC Emerging Talent Bartender of the Year Award. It's now open, as they like to say on Strictly. Uh, So check out IWSC.net for more details. Uh, There's a special page listing the different emerging talent categories. The prize for each winner is a £2,500 travel bursary, uh, plus, of course, the glory of winning this prestigious award. And what's more, for the bartender category, uh, the winner and shortlisted entrants for this award will each have the opportunity to join a mentor programme with Carl. Uh, So that is uh, a very exciting uh, addition uh, to the prize uh, in this particular uh, category. And it's open to all international bartenders. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Okay, let's round off with some IWSC medal winners from the world of low and no alcohol, starting, surprise, surprise, with Crossip, uh, with a gold medal winner from the 2022 process. Dandy Smoke won 95 points gold medal the judging panel said a nose of bountiful smoke that lingers as part of the lovely mouthfeel the finish is persistent and displays positive structure and a charming citrus character mixes well stunning with ginger ale next a wine a category that's uh, been notoriously difficult uh, but lots of work has gone into development and here's a zero alcohol wine that won a gold medal Giesen 0% Merlot non-vintage was awarded 95 points by the panel, who said a classy drink full of extraordinary depth and incredibly textured tannins. Delicious flavours of sweet red plums and dark forest berries offer a vibrant mouthfeel that melts seamlessly into a long, smooth finish. Wonderful, they said. Here's another innovative product winning a gold medal. Non-7 stewed cherry and coffee won 95 points. Uh, Christine Parkinson, I mentioned earlier, one of those assessing this one, along with Laura Willoughby, James Morgan and Amy Armstrong. Uh, The panel's tasting note, chocolate, coffee, tea, cherry, red fruit, cacao, spice, salty and fruity skin aromas and flavour characteristics on the nose and palate, robust and complex. This is shown by the aroma and flavour characteristics along with the balancing acidity. Overall, good length, they said. Next, winning a gold medal and also a low, no drinks and soda water gold. Bark and Bitter, Novara Bitter Aperitivo. This one's from Canada. The judges said, bold aromas of licorice, mint and thyme strike first, transferring onto the palate to complement the bitter orange and woody character. Silky smooth and very well rounded with balanced sweetness. And finally, a gold medal winner at 1.2% alcohol. Flor de Madre, 
Agua de Madre, Blood Orange, Bitters, Water, Kefir. 95 points, so a convincing gold. The panel said, strong citrus notes that help create a sparkling drink with a delicate character. It has a light and gentle carbonation, great structure, an attractive bitterness, and wonderful punch. A real delight, they said. And it uh, has been a delight. Uh, That's it for 2022. Happy New Year. Wishing you all the best for 2023. And best of luck if you're entering the Emerging Bartender uh, Award, of course, as well at the IWSC. Uh, You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Mr. Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. But for now, it's goodbye and see you in 2023. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.